Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Well, today on the show, we're going to be talking a little about strip tillage. If you've got any questions about that or anything going on in your farm, you can give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on X, Ag PhD Media, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute here. Before we do, I will just say when it comes to strip till, we ha- this is a practice we've been doing on our farm for over 15 years now, maybe even longer than that. It's been quite a while, and we really like testing a lot of different things in our operation. We, f- we farm about 3,500 crop acres, but we've done a lot of no-till over the years, a lot of conventional till, strip till, uh, and many variations of each. So we're going to talk strip till as we go throughout the show today. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. Well, we talk strip till, we get strip till questions, and we got one that came in already. It's Tony over in southern Minnesota. He said, All right, guys, a couple of strip till questions. Uh, I'd love to have you covered today. First of all, uh, what if you have unmatched equipment, like an eight row strip till rig, 16 row planter? That's question one. Do you want to take that first? Yes, or yes, yes, one at a time. So, eight and 16, that's fine. If you were eight and 12, now you start running into problems. So, I'll put it to you this way. Have we done some things like that where we're mismatched? Yes, but you really don't want to. You want to stay matched up at least fairly well. So let's say you had a 24-row planter. Then it's pretty easy. You can go 8-row head, 12-row head. Either way, you're fine. But, boy, if you're a 16-row planter and you're going to try using a 12-row corn head, I'm not going to recommend that. It might work out if you have everything flat and you're using RTK GPS it's not going to be horrible, but it's not something that I want to deal with. So, nope, I would not do that. Okay. The other one, he said, many of the strip-tail rigs that are for sale, I'm, I'm thinking about trying it here, and yep. many of the rigs that are for sale in my area, is plum, are, they're plumbed for liquid fertilizer. But liquid fertilizer, much higher price than granular in yep. my area. Yep. So I'm curious, do guys put on liquid PNK also, or are they mainly putting on nitrogen with those liquid machines? And then my thought is I'd like to do PNK in the fall, uh, but I can't do fall in. Okay. So in terms of the liquid fertilizer, I don't know. I I mean what the percentage would be of people just doing N versus PNK. But if it's set up for liquid, the odds are pretty high that it's more nitrogen than it is the P and the K. A lot of people are using, uh, I'll call them, the the coulter machines kind of set up for spring where you're going a little more shallow and then you you'll see a little bit of liquid nitrogen and some liquid p and k all at the same time i don't have a real big issue with that fall stuff we're usually talking dry and p and k so that's what we've been doing for years but um, I don't have a big issue if you want to go liquid. To your point, though, yes, the liquid is a little bit more expensive. I like the liquid at in the spring at planting time. That, in my opinion, is the best way to take advantage of those extra dollars you're spending because you can get quick availability. It's right there for the plant. Um, I, I like it, too, because when it's done in the spring, you have a lot less chance for tie-up. So... That's the direction I would go. So if I'm going to do something in the fall, yeah, it's going to be dry, and I'm going to really focus on the P and the K. 
All right, thanks for the question. I got this one that came in from Mark over in Indiana. Hey guys, interested in your Neil Kinsey seminar coming up uh, sometime next spring. Just curious what Late are the February. dates uh, and so forth, and when will information be posted about that event? I think we have it posted, don't we? Yeah, it is It is actually on our website, agphd.com. Just click on the events tab. It's going to be February 20th to the 22nd. There are online options, uh, but I'd strongly recommend the in-person option. You just get to ask so many more questions. You get to see a bunch of uh, consultants that work with Neil. will be there with a lot of different experience from different crops and, and different parts of the country and so forth. So uh, February 20th to the 22nd, mark that on your calendar. I can guarantee you if you're in Indiana, the odds of you doing anything in the field are pretty slim at that point. So could be a good time to plan a little getaway. Uh, it'll be right here uh, at the Ag PhD Field Day site, right in the Morton Center, uh, just outside of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So you can find hotels in Sioux Falls. Hey, thanks, Mark. We appreciate that and hope to see you there. It's going to be a great one. We're really excited about it. I got this one from Patrick. He said, hey, guys, I asked the question about corn silage versus grain. You had a great explanation. Really appreciate it. Just want to say thanks. Hey, thank you, Patrick. We appreciate that. Um, got this one that came in from Terry. He said, hey, I was the guy that you were talking to on silage about um, the farmer in our area that had suffered a loss due to excess nitrogen in his sorghum feed. And I looked it up so I could send you the article. Turns out it was 2020, not last year. Man, time flies. Uh, anyway, he said the way uh, our weather is here, sorghum is a good crop for us. Just have to be careful about those potential side effects. Um, it's also a potential source if it's cut too short again. Um, so just want to watch out for that that nitrogen thing. And by the way, this morning uh, we were minus one. <laughs> Jeez, Terry, Terry, that's cold. That's that probably cold. Fahrenheit too, not Celsius. Yeah, not not too excited <laughs> about those super cold temperatures coming. Uh, and then I get one from Eric about clethodim, and he said, "Hey guys, uh, for grass control in alfalfa, is clethodim the way to go? Yes. And when can you use it safely in clethodim? In alfalfa, when can you use clethodim safely in alfalfa? Just about any time. Yeah, third trifoliate stage is what a lot of them will say. Yeah. So I, I'll." I'll I really prefer that you get Eptam out there pre-emerge, though, before you seed the alfalfa. After that, then, yeah, the only real choice for grass is clethodim, the only real good choice for grass. The nice thing with clethodim is you, there are varying rates depending on, let's just say, how yeah, difficult type, that grass is yeah, to control. Yeah, perennial grass versus annual grass. A little foxtail, yeah. no big deal, especially if you're spraying clethodim alone. But to get clethodim to work the best, adding in the right surfactants is really important. Typically, Usually it's crop oil. It's crop oil and ammonium yep. sulfate. Uh, if you do that and you use small droplets and lots of gallons of water, lots of spray pressure, works pretty good. You don't need that many gallons of water. Don't get super carried away in the water, though. I would way rather have a little bit smaller droplet, a little less water in a lot of cases. Also, Darren mentioned perennial grass. You'll probably never kill the perennial grass, but you can stun it pretty good with clethodim when you use a very high rate. Stay tuned. We'll talk strip till next. Take your tillage to the next level with the Insight Universal Tillage Tool from McFarland Ag. With more adjustability and flexibility, the Insight is the ultimate one-pass tillage tool. Visit McFarlandAg.com to find your closest dealer. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit mortonbuildings.com. 
Because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year, BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine, the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example. Talk openly and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're going to be talking about strip till on our show today, and we're taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD or by email radio at agphd.com. Got Sean Arthur with us right now with Environmental Tillage Systems. Sean, how you doing? Great. How are you guys doing today? Well, pretty good. I would assume you're pretty busy. We're right in the middle of strip till season here. Yes, things have gotten really busy. Uh, most of the crop is out across my area, and guys are going into tillage and strip tillage and fertilizer applications full steam ahead right now. Hey, one thing I've noticed just driving around a little bit, seems to be a lot of guys using strip till in combination with cover crops to uh, to hold that soil in place and keep a living crop out there as long as they can. Yeah, it is a great practice, and they work well together. Um Holding that soil in place, um, it's one of our most valuable assets that we've got on the farm, and keeping it where we want it to be is uh, something that's going to keep it and keep it productive for many years to come. So putting the cover crops out there to help anchor the soil and then focusing your tillage right into that strip uh, has really been a good practice for many growers. had a question that came in already today about liquid versus dry fertilizer with strip-till. Uh, what do you see there for a percentage of use? Do you see most guys going dry or their growing percentage going liquid? Well, with environmental tillage systems, we've got the ability to build soil warriors that can work with dry fertilizer, liquid fertilizer, uh, and hydrous ammonia, or any combination of what a guy really wants to do. I would say that probably three-quarters of the machines that we send out are focusing on dry fertilizer setups, uh, but we've had um, many liquid machines that go out the guys are really having success with, too. Um, when they're making the choice to come over to put a soil warrior on their farm, um, we tend to ask them what their fertilizer suppliers have for them in their area and then try to build a machine that's going to work with the fertilizer that they want to use. So rather than trying to steer them one direction or the other, um, we try to accommodate what they've already got uh, in place in their area. What do you see for a trend in terms of coulters versus shanks and so forth? What What is the preferred method uh, in 2023? 
We do have a lot of Coulter machines that are out. Our, our X-Row unit uh, with that three Coulter configuration is probably going to be the most common setup that we've got. Uh, the Edge Row unit can also give you that same type of a tillage structure with a lead Coulter followed by two aggressive tillage Coulters follow, or behind that. So that's going to be uh, the best agronomic option, in my opinion, the way that it can slice any residue, uh, mix, and uh, completely till up that zone. It's going to give you a very consistent strip in the most widest range of conditions. So the Coulters are where we have a lot of guys going, uh, but a shank definitely still has its place where you've got some really hard compacted soils that you want to physically rip open with that aggressive shank. Um, we can certainly get you set up to go that route too. Um, and if we're doing anhydrous ammonia, we always run that with a shank to make sure that we can get it down to depth and safely seal it up. Uh, and not have any loss up into the air. Talking with Sean Arthur here with Environmental Tillage Systems, and I know firsthand, Sean, you really spend a lot of time with first-year strip tillers to help them get going. What do you find some of the biggest hurdles are or the biggest questions they have as they get started into the strip-till business? Well, changing over to strip-till can be a big change for an operation, whether they're coming from conventional tillage practices or even no-till and trying to implement some tillage back onto their farm, it can be a big change. So we try to work hand-in-hand with them to make sure they're thinking through that entire process and what's going to change. So we make sure that they're, they're working with their fertilizer supplier. If they're going to be applying fertilizer for their own farm for the first time, we make sure that we've got everything in place there and they've asked the right questions for the logistics of getting it brought out to the farm to make sure that's all in place. Uh, But then also just talking about um, that transition of going from um, heavily tilled soil over to the strip till, um, your soil is going to be making a change out there. So it's going to be a little bit different uh, conditions to plant into and um, try try to help that customer think about that whole process. So there can be a lot of anxiety that's involved with the first season of going to strips, but what we find is that as soon as a customer starts working with the machine and getting out into the field, it's not nearly as daunting as what they might have originally thought. Yeah, I know for us, one of the one of the big lessons year one was whoever's going to be running the planter should be running the strip till machine so the strips are right where they want them to be, and there's no complaining that somebody else did something or made a decision they might not have made. That's a very good point. And even if it's not the same person, uh, having somebody that at least has experience planting uh, can be very beneficial when they're sitting in the machine that's doing the strip till because the way they lay out a field is where the, the planter needs to follow. Yep, that's for sure. Yeah, lots of questions. So it's important as you get into strip till that you've got a good resource. We've found environmental tillage systems to be that resource. Uh, Sean, Arthur, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Thank you. All right, I got a strip-till farmer now, too, to talk to. It's Chad Henderson down in Alabama, works with the Extreme Ag Group as well, and shares knowledge with farmers all over. How you doing, Chad? Oh, good. How y'all doing? Well, it's warmed up to 40 degrees up here today. How about you? Man, it's great today. It's great today, but it's fixing to get cold down here. <laughs> yeah. Like well, we actually gonna have to, we're going to have to dump some water and get some antifreeze and some stuff. Yeah, cold, <laughs> cold weather's coming. Cold weather's coming no matter where you're at. I'm sure of that. But, uh, hey, here we are right in the middle of strip-till season. What do, what's your plan? I, I guess we had a question that came up and said, hey, what if I have an 8-row strip-tiller and a 16-row planter? Can that work? And we said, well, yes, that can work. Uh, do you guys have a mismatched unit, or do you, do you run similar rows on both? Oh, man, don't ask me that. I promise you I'm all mismatched. So I started out strip-tilling, and I had a um, – we run 16-row planters, and then we run a 16-row strip freshener. Well, when I figured out I needed a shank, that I thought I needed a shank, so then I went and bought a 12-row strip-till. So there for a minute I was running a 12-row strip-till, 16-row freshener, and 16-row planter. 
Um, and now today we finally got changed over after about three years. We run a 12-row strip till, 24-row freshener, 24-row planter. There you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, but so I can I can talk to you about that. You know, when I was just listening <laughs> in on other, you know, you made the comment, well, the guy that's running the strip till needs to be the planter guy. Yes, that's 100%. And another thing we did was we uh, made sure we had the guidance, you know, on the implement. The implement guidance helped us a lot with any kind of rolls or anything. You know, it kind of got it to where it true those strips up, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, you get to talk to a lot of folks around the country, and I'm sure you get a lot of strip-till questions from them. What do you find to be the biggest challenges for, for growers that are trying to adopt strip-till? Um. You know, one of the a lot of you know, if we can talk about the the side of it, as far as the equipment side, or we can talk about the fertility side. You know, one thing is getting your mind wrapped around how much fertilizer you need. You know, it's a great comment a while ago. It's definitely you need to tap into resources and talk to several people, talk to your agronomist, then look at your soil samples, look at what you're trying to achieve and how it's going to affect your soil. Because how many where I started at to how many pounds I use now, it's not even close. You know. Now, we do a lot of our build programs in a broadcast, and our strip-till, we're more feeding this year's crop. What? How do you do it on your farm? We're, we're moving around our strips, so we're comfortable doing a little bit of a build at a time because we know, hey, we're going to keep moving those strips, and eventually we'll build it all. But most of the time, we're going over the top with uh, with our build program. What do you guys do? Uh, so, same way. We, we'll go over the top when we put, you know, for for most of my acres. I, you know, we're two years, we try to get three crops in two years. With that being said, this is our build program. That's in front of our wheat. So we'll fertilize broadcast in front of our wheat crop, and then we come back with beans, and then we strip behind our double crop beans for our corn, you know. So every other year, we're just like you're talking about. Um, and with that being said, this is kind of my build program, and I'll be, even when my soil's in pretty good shape, I'm looking somewhere like a 35 40 40 or 35 50 50 broadcast on my wheat acres you know and then when i come back for my strip till it may be like a let's just say it's like maybe a 13 35 35 at you know say 150 pounds you know um and we always we're down here where we're low mag we've always using k mag down here you know we're just kind of opposite of what y'all are a lot of times yeah yeah, well, we'd share some of our excess magnesium if we could, Chad. If we had a way to filter it out of the soil, we'd be happy to send I, it your way. I promise you, I'm as as bad as you are high with it, I'm low with it. So you know, it's it's all every every farm has their own problem. Yeah, they sure do. We're talking with Chad Henderson here. Works with the Extreme Ag Group and farms with his family down in Alabama. Chad, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Good luck to you guys the rest of this fall. I've I've I really enjoyed it, and I've learned a lot from the show, and learned a lot from being able to talk to folks about strip tilling as well thank you you bet thanks chad we are talking strip till on today's program but we'll take any agronomic questions you have you say man i've got something i want to talk about but it's not strip till that's fine it's 844-44-AG-PHD we'll be right back Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. 
Did you know 20% of stored corn is overventilated by three points of moisture? On 100,000 bushels, that's a whole semi-load. Stop this problem for as little as $2,100 per bin with the end zone for corn from Farm Shop MFG. Learn more at farmshopmfg.com. Good morning and hallelujah. My spray and pray days are over. What's with Randy? Oh, he's just amped. We feel heaven. Amped? Yeah, he ordered that new battalion amp herbicide from UPL. They're calling it the new gold standard. This is the greatest day in herbicidal history. So, how can I get amped? Just go to battalionamp.com. It's going to be a good year. Always read and follow label directions. When nematode pressure mounts, Seed Applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference from early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield. Impressive results are everywhere, and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Elite Grower. Don't delay. Contest ends October 31st. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. See full rules. Learn more at newfarm.com slash USST. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient Flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Banning nitrogen for your planter saves you money. Don't waste those savings by buying an expensive application system. Clever design and engineering means 360 bandits, colders, and hose guides work to get the nitrogen the perfect place for rapid root uptake. 360 bandit puts a band of nitrogen on both sides of the seed trench, three quarters of an inch deep. And 360 bandit costs a fraction of what more complex systems cost. Don't overspend. Choose 360 bandit from 360 Yield Center. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking strip till. And we've got our friend CJ Parker with Case IH on now to talk about this a little bit. CJ, I'm always amazed that you pick up the phone this time of year. I, I just figured you'd be too crazy busy to talk. Yeah, that's the that's great thing about having cell phones, where everybody's a, a mobile situation anymore. <laughs> All right, so what are you seeing out there this fall? And, and I want to talk strip till, but is there anything else that you're noticing out there that you say, hey, man, guys should be aware of this? Um, I think one of the biggest things I've been been noticing this fall, you know, the uh, the, the, the dry weather that a lot of, it seems like a lot of the places have had, and um, but then now with some, some moisture coming in and, um you know, just being able to uh, to get their soil tilth, their their residue, and um, looking ahead to uh, to spring 24. It's hard to believe that you know it's it's October, but you know the, the planning and, and everything we need to set in place for for spring of 24 has already begun. 
Yeah, yeah, that is for sure, no doubt about it. And you know, you think about strip till. Once you build those strips, that's your seed bed. And most guys are hoping I'm not going to have to come back in and freshen things up. What do you see? I guess would you say more times than not, if you do it the best you can in the fall, you're going to be good going into the spring. Yeah, I'd really, I'd really tell guys to really you know spend some spend that time. I know um, falls a uh, fall. Everybody's in a time crunch in fall, but uh, you know really spend some time to uh, to make sure that that strip till row unit, that strip till bar is, is set up the way the way you want that strip to be. Um, so you can can get off to the uh, to the best place you can come spring to uh, to plan into it. So a little bit of a little bit of extra time can um, can really make a difference come come spring. And then I know there's some areas that do that uh, do spring strip till, which is you know it's, it's just as critical at that time as it is in the fall to make sure that that tool is set up correctly. I, I tell guys a lot to spend a lot of time outside of the tractor cab, and I, I hear from farmers, oh, I don't have time for that, Darren. I can't stop as much as you're recommending that we do. Well, maybe you need to get another person out there that's digging behind. If you have the manpower, that'd be awesome because you just need to make adjustments field to field. The The compaction layer may be a little different. The soil type is a little bit different. I, I just find with strip-till rigs, there, there's a lot of adjustment throughout the season. Yeah, there is there is a lot of adjustments from from field to field, and then uh, you know from uh, from variety to variety to hybrid to hybrid. You know that that residue is going to be different, and um, in different areas where they yield. You know, you know we really need to look at that at that residue management um, with that strip too to make sure to make sure we got that that residue out of out of that zone. Uh, you know, it all comes back to giving that even that even temperature and that uh, even uniform uh, moisture so we can get them plants off uniformly come springtime. Yeah, that is really important. And uh, we're talking with C.J. Parker here with Case IH. As you look at fields that guys are strip-tilling this fall, uh, C.J., uh, what are what are the most common mistakes that the guys make as they're out there running those rigs? I think one of the biggest mistakes I see is, um, you know, folks running their, their residue managers too aggressively. Um, you know, we really don't, we just want those residue managers there to, uh, to move that residue away, away from the strip. Um, we really don't want it to be, uh, to create a furrow, um, being too aggressive and, and, and running too much soil. So, um, that's probably, that's probably one of the biggest mistakes I see when setting up a strip till unit. When it's really dry, uh, can you still strip till or do you need to wait till you get a little bit of moisture in the soil? Uh, you could you could still you could still do it when it when it's really dry. Um, of course, you know it's gonna it may, it may take a little bit more horsepower. You may um, when it's when it's dry, you may be wearing wearing things out a little bit more. Your knives or, or points may wear out a little bit more because that soil is a lot more abrasive when it's when it's dry. But um, but you know that that good soil tilt, you're gonna be able to get more fracture if you're running the deeper running a little bit on the deeper side with that uh, with that with that strip till row unit and you'll get a little bit more fracture um, you probably have a tendency to create a little bit better soil tilt the uh, the drier it is as compared to if it's too muddy um, you know that shank's just going to create more of a slot we're not going to get much of that uh, that fracture or that lifting of the soil and the shanks going through uh, last thing, uh, with the AFS Connect technology, uh, what are you seeing? What are some things you can control and monitor a little better than we've been able to before? Yeah, I think what's important with that AFS Connect technology, you know, especially as you're, 
as you're tending a, um, a machine with fertilizer or whatever it may be, you know, you can get an idea, you know, you got a, uh, you got a guy, you know, wh- how many more acres has he got left in this field? When do I need to start loading the fertilizer to go, to go tend to that unit to keep him going? Um, because it's all about productivity and I'm um, having that ability to, to look anywhere where you may be at your farm, whatever, whatever job you may be doing. Um, you can, you know, if, you, if your goal is to keep that strip fill unit running and full of fertilizer, um, you can utilize that that technology to uh, to to see mobily um, what what's going on and and to to keep the whole the whole operation running smoothly. Yeah, lots of things to think about here with strip till. We're talking with C.J. Parker with Case IH, and there's a lot of new technology out there like the AFS Connect system uh, to help you manage things even a little better on your farm. C.J., thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Yeah, have a great day, guys. You bet. Brand, lots of things there with strip till, and and one of them uh, that that Chad Henderson brought up too was just understanding uh, how much fertilizer you actually need. If you're going to be putting fertilizer out, there's a lot of information out there about man, you could get by with lower rates if you're doing it in strip till. Uh, we've tried a lot of different things on our farm. Uh, there, there's only so low you can go on rates of fertilizer for sure if you want to keep levels up in your soil. But uh, we did we had a long-term study between broadcast and strip-till putting out crop removal rates in the strip-till. Yeah, no, no, it was broadcast and banned. It wasn't all strip-till, but anyway, it was banned. So go ahead. Well, just putting out um, crop removal rates of P&K in the banned approach versus putting on 50% higher rates in the broadcast. And we didn't see any yield difference for 11 years. It, it was pretty amazing. We got by with a lot less fertilizer, but... What we were well, using was crop removal rates. Right. So we weren't like taking crop removal rates and then cutting them down even more. Uh, we we didn't find that to be the case, but using crop removal rates, uh, we could deliver that pretty effectively through the ban. Yeah, but I don't think people are asking about crop removal rates. They're asking about how low can I possibly go and still maintain my yield. That's the question. And it's a real challenge because, number one, we need to see your soil tests. And number two, how accurate are your soil tests? In other words, are you giving me one test for 40 acres, one test for 10 acres, even one test for five? It's not going to be, like, perfectly accurate. And then the other thing is, what's your weather going to be? So, for example, if you're in a drought and you don't need much fertility because your yield's low, well, then obviously you can get by with less. But the flip side of that is, well, yeah, and you start thinking about it, if I don't have a lot of moisture, I can't move the fertility around very well. I also don't maybe have as much root growth, and I can't access what's already there. We see that a lot of times with potassium in the soil, which is why we often talk to people in drier areas like where we're at about how more potassium in the soil is really helpful, much more than what you your crop will use this year because you got to get access to it somehow, some way, and in dry weather, that's tough. Because like potassium, your your corn crop needs more potassium than it does nitrogen. And a lot of people that I talk to go, what? No, I need more, way more nitrogen. No, your crop actually needs way more potassium than it does nitrogen. So that's a really big thing. But anyway, we, we like strip-till because, well, for a few different reasons. One is I don't have any compaction down to as deep as I have put that strip. So that's why I like going as deep as we possibly can, 8 inches, 10 inches deep. In the fall, 
it's awesome. Now you can go plant right over the top of that in the spring, and you're guaranteed no compaction all the way down to that 8 or 10 inches deep. That's very helpful because I'll bet you in most soils, there you'll find a compaction layer at a much more shallow depth than 8 or 10 inches deep. So that's the first thing. The next thing is you can deliver some fertilizer, but not just deliver it. It's deliver it down where your crop probably really needs it. I'll bet you in a lot of fields that you have right now, your top one or two inches has a fair amount of fertility. But how you doing down at seven inches deep, eight inches deep, or deeper? Probably not much. If you can get some down deep, boy, that's really helpful, especially in a dry year. And then the other thing is it's one pass. You don't have to go spread fertilizer, then till, then till again, anything else. It's one pass. So it's really been pretty nice for us on our farm on a number of acres. We're going to get back to the Ag PhD mailbag right after this. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, you're getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting a crop nutrition plan that maximizes your fertilizer applications from every drop, all while accounting for your management practices and the products you're already using. But it's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spin spring on the tractor and fall in the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. Experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids. Extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. Effortlessly manage your farm fertility with Verify. Verify takes yield data directly from your combine and instantly generates variable rate fertility maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether it's building soil, balancing nutrition, or maintaining fertility. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Join Verify today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're diving into the Ag PhD mailbag, taking your calls at 844-44-AG-PHD or your emails, radio at agphd.com. Got one here from Trent, Brian, and I'm glad to hear, and no, I, I'm not wishing you any bad luck at all, Trent, but it's nice to hear when things don't go perfect for others, too. I always thought it was just our farm, but uh, that's that's not the case. It's uh, not nice to hear when things don't go perfect. I just, want them to I want, I want them to go very well. That's why I said I'm, not, I'm probably saying this wrong. I want things to go well, but, man, it's not just us. Uh, so for Trent, he wanted to get some lime spread last fall. Didn't happen. Wanted to get it spread this spring before he planted corn. Also didn't happen. Now he can finally get the guys there to spread. But here's the problem. He's got corn stalks out there, lots of corn stalks, and he's going no-till soybeans this next year. So what his thought is, is, hey, it's going to be like a year and a half before I'm going to do any tillage in this field again. Is that any problem just putting the lime out there now? No, no, that's fine. Now, I, I wouldn't get super carried away. But what we have found, and we've done this even on our own farm, it, to just to see how long it takes, it will get down over time. Okay, it it just takes a little bit longer when you're going no till as opposed to when you are conventional till. So I wouldn't get too worried about it. But like I said, I'm not I'm not going nuts on the rate, as long as you're running a a, a normal rate, nothing out of the ordinary, nothing crazy high. You should be just fine. And the the reason why I say this. If you go really high, what can happen is you can tie up some other nutrients, like let's say iron, for example. And if you've got your top two inches is just loaded up with this lime, then in the top two inches, you're going to be loaded up with tie up of other nutrients. That's my concern. So over time, it spreads out. Over time, you don't have the the tie up issue. I'm not that worried about it long term. But yeah, just don't get carried away in the rate and you're fine. All right, thanks for the question, Trenton. Good luck to you. Uh, got this one in from Jacob over in Minnesota, and he ran a test on some cattle bed pack manure. And he said, I ran this test in the manure, ran it with the salts, as you guys always talk about. Yep, we do. So good job, Jacob. But he said, I didn't realize how much salt there was. So <laughs> here's the thing. I, I only have... 280 280 acres of bean stubble going into corn and i wanted to spread manure out i can spread it on all of it i can spread it on part of it whatever i've got about 150 tons so i'm like wait a second here jacob that's 150 tons and you've got 280 acres so that's a half a ton per acre well that's no problem at all no no you could actually spread several tons per acre if you wanted to i guess depends on how much salt you want uh, talk talk a little bit about that, Brian. Based on the salt, uh, what kind of limits would you see here? Well, I, I'll just read it to you right off the lab reports. This is out of Midwest Labs, and his salts were 57.6 pounds per ton. Okay, so right at the bottom, it says uh, on the Midwest Labs report, total manure salts should not exceed 500 pounds per acre. Less than 500 pounds per acre if annual rainfall is less than 25 inches and or the soil CEC is less than 12. Plus, it says salt contributions from commercial fertilizer applications must also be considered. Anyway, that would tell you that if I just run the simple math here, if 500 is my limit and 57.6 is what this has got, uh, then I can put on about 9 tons roughly. 
All right. So yeah, looks looks fine, Tyler. That's uh, that's the way to do it, though. Pull some samples and, and see exactly what you got. And or I'm sorry, not Tyler. Jacob. Jacob. Sorry, uh, I was looking at the next question here already. And uh, yeah, as long as you run that manure analysis, that's going to help you out a ton to to know what you're able to spread. Uh, actually, Brian, I'm going to switch over. Um, okay. So let me tell. Well, you, well, you're fumbling around there, Darren. Let me just say. <laughs> To take this a step further, we we have talked about this a few times on the show, but many people ask us because we spread a lot of manure in our farm. How are you doing it? What's your what's your limit? Is it nitrogen? Is it phosphorus? Or is it salt? It's salt. Okay, always salt first. Always, 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 always has to be salt first. Then we'll take a look at nitrogen, and we'll take a look at phosphorus, and. So I don't want to exceed on any of the three. But the thing is, we hit our salt limit way before we hit our nitrogen or phosphorus limit. So, I mean, it's good news, I guess, when you think about uh, for any state and regulations for how much nitrogen or phosphorus you put out or anything else. I mean, honestly, we have to supplement with commercial phosphorus and nitrogen. Otherwise, we'd be falling back every year. (laughs) So that should hopefully tell you how little manure we're actually able to put on it doesn't even meet what crop removal is so yeah i mean just even this this fall when we ran a bunch of tests soil tests on i don't remember how many acres we tested over 2000 and we did one acre grids again but i was even surprised at how low our phosphorus got so quickly. Well, we've we've had drought years, and I I just keep thinking in my head, oh, our yields are horrible, they're horrible, but we're still averaging close to 200 bushels, and our best areas are 250 plus, even in the drought. So I got to get that out of my head a little bit because when I look at the tests, I go, whoa, my oh my goodness, why are we so low on phosphorus all of a sudden? We just had it built up. Well, because we don't put a lot of manure on because we hit that salt limit. And if you don't add commercial fertilizer on a regular basis when you're doing corn on corn and hitting big-time yield in some of these zones, I'm not saying everywhere, but in these zones. And this is why it's so important to grid or zone sample because we have areas on our farm where we need nothing. That's amazing. I love that. I don't have to spend the money in the fertilizer, although I will take higher yields and i got to put more fertilizer on. But you got to identify that and then spend your dollars wisely. Okay, Darren, you ready for the next one? Yes. All right. So this one comes from, well, it's just a little different uh, soil test thing. It's pictures rather than numbers necessarily, but you'll figure it out. Okay. So this one comes from Tyler over in North Central Ohio. He said, young farmer here. This is my first piece of ground. I bought it in 2020. I just recently found your show. I've been binging episodes all fall in the combine. Good job, Tyler. That's the way to use your time wisely. Uh, he said, I've, I've sent you well, a manure sample. as long sample. as the combine ran well, sure. Sent you a manure sample, <laughs> and I put on 7,000 gallons of hog manure, and then I planted a diverse mix of cover By the way, I don't have a salt test on that hog manure, so I don't know if we exceeded the level we should have on salt, but go ahead. Okay, well, it's already done. Uh, you put on 7,000 gallons of manure. It's, it, it's ground that had been rented for a long, long time, for decades, so fertility was going to be low. He knew it was low. Even so. He could get manure, and he could get it cheap, so yeah, it hadn't. I- Hadn't seen manure for a while, I'm sure, which uh, I, I know the but exact. But please, in the future, always test for salt. Yeah, I know the exact situation, Tyler, because I had some new ground, hadn't seen manure forever, and yeah, I loaded it up right away figuring, well, there's no salt out in the ground right now, and I had heavy soil. But Even Tyler salt. doesn't. His CEC, yeah. mostly 8 to 10. 
His Ooh. pH is in low sixes, but yeah. about 25% of it's below six, and 25% of it's um, higher than a 6.5. Uh, he's got low potassium, parts per million, less than 100, and a malic 3 phosphorus right around 15. So fairly low fertility, but he, he hasn't run samples after putting on the manure. He also pattern tiled the field. So he, he put in tile, he put on some manure. Okay, so uh, what's the question? Because we get about a minute. Questions are, should he go put some lime out there uh, with no. high calcium lime? No, because he doesn't have anything below 6 pH, right? Uh, no, about 25% of it was below 6. What? So he had some down oh, in the fives. Oh, that oh, that looks, boy, that looks like a 6 to me. Okay, I couldn't see it. Okay, well, there's a summary at the bottom with percentage of acres in oh, okay. different things. So, yeah, if it's below 6, I would lime. If it's not below six, don't worry about it. Okay. Uh, and then his other questions are, what would be the first things you'd be spending money on uh, to, to change in this field? And would you recommend doing anything this fall? North Central Ohio, 8 to 10 CEC. Well, I don't have a quick summary. Yeah. Um, so let's potassium see. parts Ooh, per million, wow, yeah, less than 100. Well. Yeah, yeah. And malic 3 phosphorus super around well. 15. Yeah, so you, you got to get P and K out there, and here's the problem: seven thousand gallons. That's going to give you thirty-five pounds of phosphate. That's it. That's not going to cut it. That's that. You have to add more commercial fertilizer. Now the potassium, um, you, you you're in better shape there. So one hundred and seventy-five pounds. You're getting lots of K out there. You just need more phosphorus, and this is the same issue we have with manure. We do pretty good on K, but we need more phosphorus. So that that's the direction I'd go. All right, thanks for the questions, and uh, thanks for listening to our show. We really appreciate that, Tyler. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It takes balance to be successful in farming, because what you get out of it depends on what you put in, and Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y.com. 
Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. My mom's got a new case I extractor and it can do it all. Bale hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Ship like a race car, steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah. Her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time. Taking your calls and questions here at 844-44-AG-PHD. All right, Brian, get this one from Adam, young farmer down in southern Kansas. Uh, he said, typically dry here. And he said, starting the transition from a uh, family farm owned by my parents over to me. And so far, I've taken over about 300 acres of land. Hey, congratulations to you, Adam. That's awesome. And, and yeah, it's a, it's a big, big deal. So uh, glad to see you're doing it a little bit at a time. Uh, now, he said one of the things that he decided to do is he's going to go organic wheat production, and there's a three-year transition uh, to get that going. So in the three years leading up to that, he wants to increase soil fertility levels as much as possible and hopefully lighten the financial blow that it can have on us during the transition. So there's two fields that he wants you to look at, Brian. One is called AR. The other one is, is uh, called GEARS. And he said, ignore any of the other ones on there. But he said, I'm just curious what you see for areas I need to improve. Uh, I took these tests in May of 2023, uh, just before wheat harvest, which happened in June. We later applied dry chicken litter, which I sent to test for. The AR field got 3.7 tons, and the gears field got 2 tons. Uh, and then we cultivated to, to control weeds. We just finished planting this year's wheat crop. Again, it's not org organic yet. They're not going to get any premium. They're also using humix and fulvix in the furrow. They plan to graze off the two fields with cattle and so forth. So he said his general plan uh, is wants to get to organic wheat. Um, what do you see on there for fertility? What are some things he could do? Okay, first thing is the soil is not real heavy. Um, it's, I'll say 12 on average for cation exchange capacity. Yeah, to add to that, he said it went through decades of plowing, and so that's that's a challenge, too, to try and build things back up. Well, yeah, the organic matter's pretty low, but you'll, well, if you're going to go no-till, that's the fastest way to build it back up, so I don't... He's going to do some cover crops like peas in sure. between to try to hopefully put some nitrogen back in yeah. and, and keep something growing. Well, I was just going to say the challenge is if you're going to go organic, that usually means more tillage, not less. So anyway, it's not great for the soil's organic matter when you do lots of tillage, but I, I guess let's get back to this fertility thing. So phosphorus levels aren't terrible. Um, in a lot of cases, we're talking, call it 30 P1 phosphorus and 
40 or 50 P2 phosphorus, so it's certainly not bad. Um, if it's me, I'm going to keep trying to build that a little bit more, but putting some of that chicken litter out is good. Uh, it's got, let's see, 52 pounds per of 52 pounds of phosphate per ton of chicken litter, so that's good. That helps. The only thing is when you build up your phosphorus, which is great, you got to build up your zinc and your copper just a little bit too. So the zinc is like it's less than half a part per million in much of this, and you want to get it probably to three to five, something like that. And it's very inexpensive. Just put some zinc sulfate on. Copper sulfate can be used to raise your copper levels. Your copper levels are one or less in a lot of cases. And when you get higher levels of copper, you'll find that your wheat will have a little bit less disease in it. So copper sulfate and zinc sulfate are two of the cheapest nutrients you can possibly put on. I get at least some more of those out there. Ideally, again, my goal would be five parts per million on zinc and probably either at least two, two and a half, maybe three on copper, something like that. Get those up a little bit. Your boron's also super low, like 0.2. Your sulfur's low, uh, like single digits, but with your your chicken litter, that definitely gets some sulfur out there. So sulfur and nitrogen aren't going to hold in that soil very well. So you're going to have to find some way organically, I guess, moving forward to get nitrogen and sulfur out there because those are two issues you've got now, and you're always going to have it because your, your soil is fairly light, and even if it, if it was heavy with a normal amount of rainfall, you're going to leach some out. So those are probably my best suggestions. All right, thanks for the question. Uh, had some Oh, hey, sorry, one last thing. Um, lime. He does have some pHs that are down in the fives. So if your pH is below six, I definitely get at least a little bit of lime out there. Not going to take much because you got light to medium soil. Sorry, go ahead. All right, had a little feedback come in from Chuck, who was out in New Jersey. He said, hey, guys, uh, uh, I, I work mostly with turf out here, but I was listening to your radio broadcast when you were talking about compaction, and somebody asked the question about wet soils and so forth. We've got a large variation in soil composition here, primarily sandy in southern New Jersey and heavier clays to the north. Where we're located, uh, we see a lot of nutrient deficiencies that you discuss, especially when it comes to micros. Uh, but in regards to the compaction, my thought would be tilling wet soil and adding to compaction has a correlation to the bulk density uh, of that soil. And when you have a sandy soil with more pore space, you can get away with some things. But if you're in those heavier clays, you just can't. Uh, to me, like you suggested, having good organic matter content and improving your CEC over time by building organic matter uh, is a big deal. I've seen sandy soils tilled wet. They seem to recover much easier with limited to no compaction. Uh, obviously not the case in the clays. Hey, thank you so much, Chuck. We really appreciate it. And there's a lot longer. I kind of simplified it a little bit. But, uh, yeah, it's great feedback. Really appreciate you listening to the show, too. And good luck to you. Uh, got a question in from Aaron who said, Guys, I've heard you talk about the Thrive 3D system and utilizing Zyway on corn, those types of things. I'm curious, have you used that on soybeans at all? Are you aware of any trials in soybeans, uh, either with insecticides or with fungicide like Zyway? Uh, the insecticide I've been using for a couple of years on yeah, our farm with soybeans, yep. and we've been really happy with that. We've got a lot of secondary insect pressure. We do a lot of manure. We do a lot of cover cropping. And certainly when you do more of those types of things, you see, and, and less tillage, you see more insects out there. So the capture thing's been good for us, and it's been relatively inexpensive with 
yeah. what soybeans are, it's less than a bushel. So it doesn't yep. take much for gain to help. Yep. On the Zyway, we did do some trial work this year for the first time, and we're still harvesting trials. So be curious to see if we notice anything. We didn't have it in any special spot. In fact, uh, we didn't get it right where we had some white mold, which would have been wonderful to see if it would have helped on that at all. So, yeah, I'm as excited as you are to see if, if that's going to be a thing that pays off because there are a lot more of these SDHI chemistries that are showing really nice in-season effects from in-furrow applications. So hopefully that's the case. I know we sure like Zyway fungicide on our corn. Uh, it would be interesting to see if we can find something good on the soybeans too. Anything you wanted to add to that, Brian? Nope. That covers it. Okay. I got this one from Diego down in Argentina. He said, hey, guys. Uh, my fertilizer dealer here has a dry fertilizer. It has phosphorus, nitrogen, sulfur, and zinc. But it's got four different types of bacillus bacteria strains. I'm curious, are you guys doing any uh, bacillus strains with fertilizer? I'm just kind of curious about that. You know, we do a lot of things with naturals, Diego, and uh, they they have been shown, many of those strains that you've got listed there have been shown to improve nutrient uptake in the crop and and also um, potentially work hand in hand with your root system so yeah, yeah i think but, I, I think it'll be interesting to try that out the question yeah. will be uh, yeah, but putting but, it with the fertilizers my my concern why are we not putting it with the seed it's going in the furrow right it's going with dry fertilizer yeah i don't know that's if a that's lot of salt work. it's a lot of salt so yeah well, i don't care if it's i don't care if we have salt or not i just care about connecting to the root and it's not going to happen if the root doesn't hit that fertilizer piece. So so my point is you're going to spend this money in the biological and 90% of it's going to be ineffective. So I would probably take the same strains, put them on the seed. But you can, you can try some things, just see if you get results. Let us know if it works out for you, but that would be my only concern. Uh, I get a question from Jerry over in Iowa. Hey, you guys talked about strip-till, a lot of focus around corn. How about in front of soybeans? Are you doing the same types of things, same types of strategies as you do on corn? For strip-till strategies, uh, yeah. I, I would I, say the last few years we have been strip-tilling just in front of soybeans and not in front of corn because we've had so much manure going in front of corn. So... Uh, when we do it in the fall, we're just doing P and K anyway. The other thing that we've also tried is doing some high rate, well, I shouldn't say high rate, some some micronutrients at enough for several years, way down deep, like 8 or 10 inches deep, and trying some of that too just to, to build that up a little bit. So we just figure in the soybean year, maybe we could do, you know, we're not putting that much P and K out there. Throw a few micros out, like a blend of micronutrients deep, and just trying some of that also. But, yeah, for the most part, our strategy is about the same, corn and soybeans. We like strip-till either way. Yeah, I like fertilizing each crop if we can. I know a lot of guys are in a two-year rotation or even more. Uh, that can certainly be done too, but that's a cool thing with strip-till. If you're doing that in front of each crop, you can feed that specific crop too. Thanks for the questions. And thanks for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.